welcome, heroes, to the Kirk Academy. Unearth tips and tricks. I am your host, Justin. I'm your co-host, Ian. And I'm your co-host, Matthew. We hope to inspire you with creative content for you to bring with you on your next adventure. Tonight. 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 Our monster today is the Poison Caster. I'm really excited for this. The artwork is amazing. What is the Poison Caster? Well, we're going to start with the Lamia um stat block to give us kind of some good uh numbers we're gonna lo- we're gonna lose a couple core features including its intoxicating touch because that's a problem and we're gonna swap its strength and dex because we want it to be a little more uh dexterous than strong um what makes it really interesting is it's got a core of abilities that focus on poisoning uh it carries a uh poison dagger that if it hits a target and they fail the con save it knocks them unconscious if they or it, <laughs> it poisons them for an hour if they fail by five or more it knocks them unconscious right yep uh which is very much the drow poison um but we're gonna give it two channeling effects the channeling effect one it releases a blast of a toxic cloud that saps its strength right this means that it has disadvantage on strength throws strength checks um I assume that's the target. And strength-based <laughs> strength. What's that? I assume that's the target. <laughs> oh, yeah, 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 the target. <laughs> the person that gets caught in the cloud of a 15-foot cone. Uh, they get their uh, strength-based attack rolls have disadvantage. Um, or it can leave little puddles of poison liquid uh, blotches on the battlefield during the fight. Nice. Oh, boy. And, of course, we're going to change the spell list, give it things like bark skin, healing word, fog cloud. Um, a couple other ones that I really liked was uh, Polymorph. It gets once a day, can cast Polymorph. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Blight and Tangle. And Tangle, combined with the Puddle, brutal oh, if yeah. you can't get out of it. And then, of course, <sighs> speak with animals because it's very druidic. What do you guys think? I think it's very nice. That is very interesting. A enemy that affects the terrain and the environment to its advantage is definitely a win. Yeah, there's not enough of those. Well, imagine if you do a poison-based layer. Ooh. That would be even more dangerous. <laughs> I love the idea of, you know how stalactites drip water? Yeah. What if they're dripping acid and poison? Because like, that, because the uh, poison caster used so much of that poison cone. Nice. He just coated his whole entire layer with it? Yeah. That's awesome. <laughs> now, it is worth noting that poison is one of the hot, most commonly resisted spells and magics. But not for players, usually. That's a fair point. <laughs> oh goodness, that's really great. Um, would you guys use a monster like this? Sure. Um, I mean the knockout may be a bit much, but yeah. I disagree. It raises the stakes. <laughs> I like medium rare, by the way. I li- yeah, I like them rare. I like them rare. Um, yeah, you're always gonna have that. Um, it is worth noting that that magic comes off like a one fourth CR rating monster. That poison. Hmm. the drow the drow soldier has that poison. Uh, yeah. so uh anyways it's really fun the idea you can knock a character they can just be kicked in the head and woke up though um so it does come with its challenges but combining the ad- or be woken up by the roar of a bear <laughs> yes oh it is worth noting that if you don't know our channel is very much follows the recharge rate just like dragon's breath mm-hmm. right it's just a recharge die so they can't use it every time unless they roll really good which does happen sometimes yeah all right, that'll do it for our monster, the Poison Caster. Definitely check this bad boy out. You can find it on our uh, Patreon at crit- patreon.com slash Academy. Next, our encounter. This is interesting because I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a man of moral ambiguity. 
You don't say. You don't say. I, I guess I don't have to. Um, the thing that I like the most is thing random encounters that the players can choose to ignore. They don't have to do it. Yep. Um, and today we're going to talk about the watering hole. Um, in this encounter, the characters are traveling a, a, heat, a scorching desert or some other, um, you know, desolate area, right? Mm-hmm. Where resources, such as water, it's are scarce. scarce. Which leads to... Combat. People fighting over it, right? Yeah. Somebody's going to want it. You can't all have it. So the a characters... battle for survival. Yeah. So is there somebody... Is one side right and one side wrong? Not Who knows? And that's what makes this interesting. So um, the the characters stumble across goblins and kobolds that are fighting over a the only source of water within dozens and dozens of miles. Um, the kobolds go- came to slaughter the goblins um, and steal their resource. The kicker is both sides treat the characters as enemies because now they think the, the, the characters are trying to come and get the resource, right? Yeah, it's a three-way battle if they both engage. Especially if it's in a desert area and the players don't have the creation of water or something. Yeah. This could be very... Um, Create food and water. Yeah. So they may, if they don't have something like that, this could be something they need. Several levels of exhaustion. The sun is taxing them. And these two bastard groups are fighting over it to survive. So do the players jump in to fight and join one side? Do they wait for one side to kill the other? Or do they try to sneak in and 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 try to just get it and leave here's the kicker though a simple investigation check will find the variety of human corpses and bones litter the battlefield Ooh. and they're not goblins and they're not goblins they're not goblins. what does that mean that it means one of them not only killed the humans but also took the watering hole for themselves does it what if they were already dead when they got here there's the problem well do they know Nope. The player characters probably don't know unless they make, speak with, or try to, to engage in conversation. Hmm. So here's the, here's the real kicker. The humans that were destroyed and what's left, did they take it from somebody else? And the cycle continues. Yep. What do you guys think? That is a conundrum of morality. It's interesting. Talk about talk about your players. See what they do. Justin's a bastard, I know. <laughs> um, this is definitely uh, a fun one, and I would love to see somebody do this after the characters have had run-ins with uh, complicated uh, um, survival tasks. You know, yeah. running out of resources, don't aren't barely surviving. How bad are they willing to get? And you can make either side neutral or good. They don't have to be evil. Nope. But will the character stop and ask that question? Not always. Usually. Not usually. (laughs) So, all right, that'll do it for our encounter, the watering hole. Our magic item for today's podcast is the Soul of Gaia Rune. This is a wondrous, uncommon item that does require attunement. The acorn of bark is about the size of a human child's fist. The Gaia Nature Rune appears on it in the form of the Tree of Life that runs along its surface. Now, the acorn itself has the following properties, which work only while it's on your person. First, you can commune with Gaia, which allows you to read, write, and speak Druidic. Nice. Yeah. 
It also has the nature spirit where you can't be poisoned or diseased. Now, that's to be clear, the status effect, not the damage type. Earth and Grass allows you to cast Entangle as a bonus action, but once you use this property, you can't use it again until you finish a long rest. And then there's the Gift of Gaia, where you can transfer the Acorn's magic to a non-magical item, such as a wooden weapon or shield, by tracing the rune there with your finger. And the transfer takes about 8 hours of work that requires the two items to be within 5 feet of each other. At the end, the Acorn is destroyed, and the rune appears in green on the chosen item, which gains a benefit based on its form. One of them being, if you place it on the shield, you gain advantage on seven throws against being charmed, and match items can't put you to sleep. Or if you put it on a wooden weapon, Gaia's strength is imbued with the weapon, and can use your spellcasting modifier instead of your strength for the attack and damage rolls using this weapon. And damage rolls with the melee weapon using this becomes a d8, and the weapon becomes magical. So basically, it's a little bit of a shillelagh and crack. That's exactly what it is. <laughs> <laughs> well, what do you think about this, Matt? Um, that is a very uh, interesting magical item. Uh, it has a lot of benefits, has a lot of defenses and immunities um, that grants its wielder. Um, I can see, um, in terms of the nature story, I would I definitely see a nature cleric or a hunt or a ranger using this if they're more of the uh, hunter side of things. Who, who, uh, in a similar setting, you could possibly have it in like a monster hunter setting. Yeah, just like the pre- the episode. Yeah, nice. I like that. I like that tie-in. No, it's pretty good. Now it does on the surface come across. A- as maybe a little strong for an uncommon magic item, but it does give a lot of utility. What would you What would you change to make it more balanced to uh, uncommon? Um, I think just uh, maybe remove one or two features, maybe just because of the sheer amount it has. Now, granted, some of those do change depending on what you put it on. Be it the acorn, the shield. Yeah, it loses the other benefits if you uh, bind it to those. Okay. Uh, that it follows the normal runes. So all those lists of things, if they bind it to a weapon or an armor, it loses all the others and only gains the. Uh, other feature. Okay, with well, that more clear then. <laughs> yeah, that's just how it is in all the Storm King Slender books. So sure. <laughs> okay. I will make sure to change the verbiage a little bit to make that a little more clear because sure. you're right, it doesn't actually stipulate that, but that's how it's supposed to work. Okay. You're giving up the power that it has by holding it to bind it to something yeah. in, in exchange. Um, I think it's really cool. I think it's fun because uh, it gives a a an item that gives a little bit of benefit but it really is delved in with flavor so much flavor and i think that it could be really well you mentioned the 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 nature cleric i think that that's a great way to get the most out of this the entangle once per day that can that is a get out of free jail card right there like if your enemies are chasing you or you're ambushed slamming on the ground and spike bushes popping up uh just sounds awesome (laughs) oh yes also shillelagh is just like a default feature your every caster would love that and i really do hope they rework shilly a little bit in the playtest but hey what would you like to see changed i kind of would like to see it's, it to be referred to saying when you cast a spell once per when you attack i would like, like it doesn't really scale up like other cantrips do now and i really you only get more benefits of it when you get extra attack, which druids don't really do. No. So it loses utility after level 5, especially compared to, say, Primal Savagery. Yeah, but you got to also remember that druids are full casters, too. Right. But, 
But I'm this just saying, is true. It's true as that is because because they are full casters. You just get so much better stuff afterwards, and it just loses its utility. It's a fair point, but most most druids probably aren't running around bonking people on the head at level twenty. Either. Yeah, they're yeah, so- they're more taking forms of a beast and tearing their opponents to pieces with that form. Yeah. I'm just saying, primal <laughs> savagery does scale. What, what, does pri- what does primal savagery do? You basically sprout claws <laughs> briefly, and you basically at- get attack. an extra attack. No, it's, no, no, it scales up like other cantrips do. Oh, in raw damage. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So really doesn't. <laughs> All right. Very cool. Yeah, That'll right. do it for our magic item, the soul of Gaia Rune. <laughs> uh, before we move on to our Dungeon Master tip, it is Fall Into Dungeon Mastering Bundle is available now. It includes five of our must-have Crit Academy products, plus a three-month membership to Obsidian Portal Campaign Manager, which is awesome. This is a total of $48 value for only 20 bucks. available right now for a limited time only. Head on over to CritAcademy.com and snag it before this deal falls away. I see what you did there. Plus 10 cool points for the pun. <laughs> All right. Uh, our Dungeon Master tip, redefining races and lineages. Let's be honest. There's a lot of stuff changing in D&D right now. Mm-hmm. For better or worse. <laughs> yeah. And... <laughs> But it's all an experiment at this point. Yeah, yeah. A, a simple but extremely effective tool for D- dungeon masters to help your to help your world stand out. There are a lot of generic traits that lineages and races have. What can you tell me about orcs, you guys? They tend to be tribal bands of uh, barbarians that tend to raid villages all the time. Would you agree with that, Matt? Yeah. You want to tell me a little bit about gnomes? Nobody plays gnome, so he doesn't know what to say. <laughs> Halflings. Um, I mean the best the best way that is presented is Lord of the Rings with the Shire. You know okay. they live in they live in hills. Their houses are made out of hills. Little jolly. Yeah. And they tend to keep to themselves, money. especially those they try to avoid other races. They don't like strangers. Yes. What about giants or Goliaths? Mountain orcs, basically. No. <laughs> wow! Brutish. Um, Alright, did you know as a dungeon master, if you really want your world to stand out, tip those on their head. Yeah. A halfling doesn't have to be a jolly, um, second breakfast, you know, ring-carrying, tra- delivering person, you know? Instead, they can be vicious, brutal cannibals. Like, like a dark sun. Like in dark sun setting. Maybe the Goliaths aren't a focus on a fighting and this primitive clan culture. Maybe they're highly intelligent merchants and they travel. The reason they're so buff is because they carry everything everywhere they go. Or stonesmiths because they live in the mountains. Ooh, that's really good. I like that. Maybe dwarves don't live in mountains. Maybe dwarves live in forests and elves live in mountains. Yep. <sighs> What I'm trying to say is redefine what races and lineages means to you in your world. This simple change to your game will affect not only the lore, but care, player expectations. Um, your world will stand out because you will not forget the world you were in when you were attacked by cannibal halflings. Just swarmed by them. That's something that sticks out in your mind. You know what doesn't stick out in your mind? A swarm of orcs that are cannibals. Now, I do want to be upfront, though, is like when you make these changes, be upfront with your players about them. Because, yes, it is good to try something different every now and then to make your world stand out. But on the same time, 
many of those stereotypes, many of those tropes are there for a reason. People yeah, go... often like those tropes. <laughs> yeah, go in depth with the <laughs> lore of the world of each race yeah. as you're going by. I'm, I'm not saying don't do it. <laughs> I'm saying do it. <laughs> because I'm tired of dwarves living in mountains. I'm tired of elves jumping in trees. I want to make elves two feet tall. And I want them to sit on shelves. All right? I make toys. I make toys. There are so many different ways we can do that. You could totally just call an elf and give it all the gnome features. And it's an elf. Yep. And that sets your world apart. Um, Ian said, talk to your players about it. I say, fuck that. <laughs> um, if, they, if, they, if you want to make a bend of the rules for their character, all, by all means. Yep. Hey, I want to play a halfling, but I don't want to be an evil cannibal. Okay, well, you're the only good one that's existing. And actually, 13th Age does that really well. In 13th Age, there's a uh, one unique thing feature where your character has one unique thing about them that is a truth no matter what you say. Mm -hmm. So maybe... Ian wants to be a boring, jolly, you know, potato-eating, second-breakfast, devouring, ring-carrying halfling. And that's okay, but he's the only one. And potatoes are delicious. Depends on how they're cooked. Oh, man, I just saw a machine on TikTok for making perfect potato chips. You just put them in there, and, go, and it looks like a little washing machine. Perfect potato chips coming out. Oh, so good. I'm derailing. We need to check. We need to get that though. <laughs> um, all right. So uh, if whichever direction you choose, whether you want your gnomes to be, you know, clever tinkerers or brutal cannibals, uh, consider changing them from what the norm is just to make your world more memorable. And it really will just throw the players off their game. Memorable and unique. Yeah. And that's what we're all here about, right? Mm -hmm. You don't have to follow tropes. Ian makes a good point. The tropes are there for a reason. Tropes are also meant to be broken. Yep. <laughs> That'll do it for our Dungeon Master tip. Redefine races and lineage. Matt, would you like to tell us about our player tip today? Because, my God, this is a good one. Okay, so our player tip of the podcast is don't be a jerk. See you next fall. Um, <laughs> using the dominate person spell to create a pliable target can be seen by some as unsavory. But sometimes someone needs to be, quote-unquote, convinced to step through a dimension door that, unbeknownst to them, opens 500 feet in the air, allowing you to drop them from a great height. What is it with that uh, point? <laughs> all right, so let's talk about this. So how are we going to do this in D&D? Well, if you cast Dominate Person or Charm Person, they're more willing to do what you want. Would you agree? Yes. Yes. Would you also agree that the dimension door says a willing creature? Yes. yes. When somebody casts Dimension Door, does the willing participant generally know where they're coming out? Willing, yes. Willing. Usually. So so when we're playing D&D &D and I summon, hey, we're going to teleport. Do you want to come with me? No. Yeah. <laughs> it's because you don't trust me. Smart. <laughs> most are going to say what? Yeah, right. Yeah, right? That makes sense. Um, So... Uh, you can cast Dimension Door and select a target 500 feet straight up above you. They don't know you did that. You just say, all right, buddy, let's go. We're going to get out of here. Once you and the target begin to fall, because you're going to go together, because otherwise they're probably not going to go, right? Yeah. Um, use your reaction to cast Feather Fall on yourself only. <laughs> you know, now they take 
20 d6 damage from the fall. Now, if you choose to include them as a target of your Feller Fall spell, you now have eight rounds of falling to cast spells targeting the opponent before they reach the ground. Or they're a melee only enemy. Your allies have eight rounds to shoot them. Oh, nothing but a open target floating yep. in the sky. You're like, hey, Billy, target practice again. <laughs> now, it's worth noting that this technique does offer a clever way um, to use height against your enemies as one. Mm-hmm. Um, use this technique to do a few other things, though. You can remove a powerful enemy from the battle for a short time. Yep. Mm. That's interesting. You can isolate and render an enemy effectively helpless for eight rounds, hmm. yep. which is awesome. And you can trick an enemy into a situation where they take massive falling damage or arrow damage. Yep. Or both. What do you guys think? <laughs> that is clever. Um, especially if the dominated target or the charm target is uh, like a not so much magically resistant uh, enemy and you just do that for the heck of it. <laughs> I mean, it obviously takes a bit of setup. Yeah. Charm person isn't always successful. No. But if it is, this is brutal. I would argue, and this is just Justin's opinion, I like this better than Banish. Banish removes them, but you can't target them anymore. That's yes. That doesn't you need to. But they that, can't target you either. That's true. And there's some <laughs> benefits to that. But, man, that's a long fall. <laughs> yep. Some good damage and whatever else you tap on onto it. Yep. The idea of casting Featherfall on them and just leaving them up there <laughs> is awesome. And I think is a very clever way to in, uh, get the most out of it. Yeah. You're Andy. welcome, Power Gamers. Well, that'll do it for our Unearth Tips and Tricks show today. If you enjoyed the show and you want to support us, please visit us at CreekAnemy.com. Follow us on social media. Leave us a review. If you're not already, please watch our tick or watch our YouTube. Check our YouTube. Subscribe to us. Um, share right from there. Clip out some of your favorite little segments um, and and tag us in it. We really want to 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 um, uh, see what your favorite parts of the show are. Right. We even have some live show gaming for you. Yeah, I love it. Dude, you guys, we gotta play some Gamma World together. Agreed. What? Uh, I got fun, Mary. This is Gamma World. I remember one play went through four characters in one night. It's glorious. <laughs> it's so much fun. <laughs> so we're gonna have to. Maybe that's something we can stream and get everyone together for. Yeah, that would be a lot of fun. Even if it's just a one shot. <laughs> yeah, one shot, four characters. Hell yeah, I'm down. Oh, I don't think it'll be four characters by the end of the night. <laughs> well, four dead characters and from one person. All right. <laughs> Uh, I'll, that'll do it for our show today. I'm your host, Justin. I'm your co-host, Ian. And I'm your co-host, Matthew. Thanks for listening. Keep your blade sharp and spells prepared, heroes! What? <laughs> I thought you were mad because I turned it over to him. I was like, I was thirsty. I need somebody else to carry the torch for a second. Nobody noticed? I, I, did. I did. I didn't notice at all. Nope, I totally forgot, and I bet you were going to get an email about it.